John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 43, we, we're going to look at the last several verses in John chapter 1 this morning, beginning with verse 43 and, and going through verse 51. I want you to go there with me. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you today. You do have your copy of God's Word, right? Open yours up and let's look together, beginning in verse 43 in John chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46 says, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The question for us has been, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we've been studying here in John chapter 1, and we've been seeing the answer to just that question of who Jesus is. Everything we see here points to, it points to this, that that Jesus is God in human flesh. Everything that we've been seeing in chapter 1 points to the deity of Christ. And on, our, on the way, on the way through chapter one, we've been noting these different names, and there are there are seven names that we're pointing out as we go through chapter one together. And we've been seeing several of these seven different names. We come to the last two this morning, wrapping up the last two names in this one passage. But let me go back to the beginning here for a moment. Think about the names that we've noticed here. First, we saw Jesus, the Word, right? Jesus the Word. And as such, Jesus reveals the heart and mind of God. He is the Word. The heart and mind of God revealed. Aren't you thankful for Jesus the Word? Aren't you thankful for the written Word that God has given us? You want to know Christ? You want to know the heart and mind of God? Know the Word. Pursue the Word. And Jesus is the Word. The heart and mind of God revealed. Secondly, we saw Jesus is the light. And if you were here for that, you might remember we talked about light reveals truth. And light means life, right? And Jesus reveals truth for us. And he means life for those who believe in him. And then we saw that Jesus is the Son of God. And God the Son 
reveals God the Father. Right? If there's a Son of God, there's a Father, right, involved. There's God the Father, and Jesus Christ reveals God the Father for us. And then we noted that Jesus is the Christ, which means He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the Sent One. That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the Christ. We've also seen, and we noted this in the two, the last two studies we did, it's been two weeks since the last study here in John, but we, we noted this, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's, and here's what that means, He's the once for all sacrifice to all who will believe in His name. He is the once for all sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world, right? We're talking about, and we talked about that, we talked about that passage that says, He takes away the sin of the world. We're talking about available to all mankind. It's for all who will believe in Him. It's not just for the Jews, was was uh, John's emphasis in writing this. It's not just for the Jews, it's for all mankind, for all who will believe to be forgiven their sins. And that's Jesus, the Lamb of God, because He is the once-for-all sacrifice. And today we come to the last two names we're looking at here that help us see who Jesus is. The last two names. You may have noticed them. The sixth name is seen in verse 49. It is King of Israel. He is the King of Israel in verse 49. And then the seventh name is seen in verse 51. He is the he is the Son of Man. And that, that happens to be the, the favorite title of Jesus for Himself called himself the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. And again, these names for Christ are helping us see and helping us understand just who Jesus is. Now, we're going to get to how those last two names help us see who Christ is in the course of our time together today. Now, in the account that we saw last time together here in John two Sundays ago, we saw that we noted this, that Jesus Jesus didn't take the initiative in that case, in the passage we looked at a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus didn't take the initiative in calling the two disciples of John the Baptist to follow him. Remember, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And we said, what is it we said of them? And they were disciples of John the Baptist's teaching. Okay, They weren't followers of John the Baptist. They were followers of John the Baptist's teaching. So they were disciples of his teaching. And Jesus did not call them out. What happened? Well, we saw that as John taught them and as he introduced them to Christ and pointed to the Messiah, they left John's side and followed Christ. Now, they had followed John's teaching, and the natural outcome of John's teaching was that when you find Christ, you follow Christ. And that's what they did. And then we saw also in Simon Peter's case, but Simon Peter's case was a bit different. In Simon Peter's case, he was brought to Jesus by Andrew. Andrew brought Simon Peter, right? And then we saw something different. When we come to the passage before us this morning, we saw it when we read it. We're seeing something slightly different. In the passage we looked at two weeks ago, Jesus did not call anyone or go seek for anyone to come and follow him in the text that we were looking at. But in this text, it's slightly different, isn't it? We see something different here in the passage before. It's in the setting that develops beginning in verse 43. 
Jesus is taking the initiative, isn't he? Jesus is taking a step, and he is taking the initiative. It says that, look at verse 43, it says that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And whom does Jesus go looking for? He goes he goes for Philip, doesn't he? He goes to Philip. Now, everything we know about Philip points to him being simply an ordinary an ordinary individual. Everything we have revealed to us in the Bible about Philip uh, uh, kind of points to him just being an average, I was going to say an average Joe, but an average Philip, right? He's an average guy. And, and I, can I just encourage you with this? Be encouraged that God chooses people who are average. Now, I could ask you if you think you're exceptional, right? Um, and maybe you would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm exceptional. But I would say that there are very few of us here this morning who are exceptional, right? Wouldn't you agree with me that most of us are, we're pretty average, right? We're just normal people, right? How, how encouraging to me, because I'm pretty average. I'm probably even less than average in a lot of ways. <laughs> that God chooses people like me, and God chooses people like you. God chooses people like Philip, Right? We don't know much about Philip. He just seems to be kind of an average person. Jesus takes the initiative, and he goes and looks for Philip. And I'm encouraged by that. And you should be too. God chose you before you were ever looking for him. You need to know that. When you come to Christ, you don't realize that. You think, I sought out Christ. I found him. I went looking for him, and I found him. But as soon as... As soon as your eyes are open to the truth, you go, wait a minute, I think he found me. I realize now that actually he was drawing me to himself, and I just didn't know it. I thought I found him, but in truth, he came looking for me, and that's what's happening here. God has use for what we might call ordinary or average people. I would I would venture to say that, that far and beyond... The people that God uses are average and ordinary people. Alright? If you don't believe me, please trust me. But, but you don't have to trust me. Go look in the Bible. Because the Bible is filled with examples of average and ordinary people whom God used for His glory. God has use for what we might call an ordinary person. The Bible is full of those examples of ordinary people whom God chose to use to do His work, to bring Him glory, to spread the good news, to spread the gospel, to point people to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does Jesus call Philip to do? You see it? It says here that Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Now, I want you to understand something here. This, is, this seems really simple. And I used to have a boss who would come and get me. We would, I worked in a big print shop and ran the computers there. And every once in a while he'd come and get me and he'd say, Kevin, follow me and walk this way. And he would literally, he would start going, and walk this way. And I would go, okay, I'll follow you. But I didn't walk that way. He would say, walk this way. Jesus isn't saying, follow me and kind of walk, walk like I'm walking right now. This is totally different. There's more to it than a simple follow me and walk the way I'm walking and walk in this direction. He's saying, be my disciple. He's saying, follow me 
be my disciple. That's what the meaning of the original language actually points to. It doesn't, it doesn't, we don't quite get the full flavor of it in the English translation. When it says, follow me, we think, what does that mean, follow me? This is common in the New Testament. And I, and I would suggest that every time you see Jesus saying to someone, follow me, he's saying, be my disciple. He's not saying, just look where I have to go and come, come the direction I'm going, but follow me, be my disciple. Follow me for the purpose of being a follower of me. A, a disciple of mine. Now, I want to note here in the text, there are three cues, so to speak, three pointers to some important truths about Jesus Christ pointed to here in the text. And I want to tell you what the first one is, and then we'll get to the, the next two here in a moment. But here's the first one. Here's the first pointer about an important truth about Jesus. Jesus is the one with the authority. Jesus is the the one with authority, okay? Remember, we said God in flesh, right? So it begins to make sense if we if we didn't understand it before that Jesus has authority because he's God in human flesh. Now, we might say, as we come to a passage like this, and say, you're telling me that he said to Philip, you follow me because I want you to be my disciple? Who's Jesus? Well, we're answering that question, aren't we? Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus to say, you come, follow me, and be my disciple? Who is he? Might we say he is no ordinary man, right? He is no ordinary man. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus is the one with authority. Now, we would have a very good reason to think of someone as arrogant who came up to us and said, Hey, you, uh, follow me. I want you to be my disciple. Okay? Could you imagine somebody coming to your door and saying, You, Follow me. Be my disciple. We might say, um, closing the door, okay, because you're called, <laughs> or something like that, right? Or we say, wait a minute, who are you? We would stop and say, wait, 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 who are you to tell me to follow you and be your disciple? Well, let me suggest here that Jesus has every right to say that. Jesus has the authority to come into our lives and say, you follow me. You be my disciple. Now let's just note that. Because this is important for us to understand. If we're going to see Jesus for who he is, if we're going to believe in him, if we want Jesus Christ to make a difference in our lives, we need to come to terms with this, that Jesus has the authority to reach into our life and say, you're mine. You follow me. Be my disciple. Jesus has the authority. Jesus is the one with authority. Let's keep that in mind, okay? Keep that in mind because we're going to see this, we're going to see this similar idea continue here in the passage as we look at it this morning. We're going to come back to that thought. Now look at what happens next. Verses 44 and 45. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, and note that Philip going out and spreading the gospel, right? He's doing evangelism here. He's going out. This is what did I say last week? That some of the best evangelism is when you go find the person you know. You go find your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, your coworker, right? Some of the best evangelism is done when you go get the person you know. And what, what happens here? Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found who? Nathaniel. And said to him, we have found him. 
of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, did you see what happened there? One disciple finds another. One disciple finds another. Jesus finds Philip, and Philip proceeds to tell Nathaniel that they found who? They found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, that's another way of saying we have found the Messiah. We have found Messiah, which is what Andrew had said of Jesus when he took Simon Peter to him, remember? We found the Messiah. That's the same, same idea here that, that we're seeing in this passage is the idea that this is the Messiah. Now, notice another thing Philip is saying in verse 44. He's actually pointing back to the Old Testament prophets. And in this we see once again, as John writes this gospel, that he's, he's pointing to who Jesus is. John's purpose, remember. Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's anointed one. He's God come to man. Remember, that's John's purpose in writing this gospel as he states in chapter 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And, and John is still on message, isn't he? And we're still in chapter 1, I understand. And yes, he's still on message in chapter 1, but we're going to find in the remaining chapters, John's going to stay on message about who Jesus is. And then in verse 46, we see Nathaniel is surprised that Philip is calling this man the Messiah. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, it's almost like, uh, wait a minute, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's what he says. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's likely that, and the reason for this here is because it's likely that Nathaniel's response here is due to, due in part to the fact that Nazareth really wasn't a very well-known town. It wasn't a, a terribly significant town. It was kind of a, a little place of significance. And as far as Nathaniel was concerned, it was, you know, just like any other town. So what's so special about Nazareth that it would produce the Messiah? And add to that that Nathaniel was from Cana, and, and we may see a little rivalry going on here. You know what happens, you know, people from one town and people from another town or people from one state and another state or people from you know, one school or another school, we say, there's a little bit of a rivalry going on, and maybe that's a little bit of it too. And he's kind of like saying, wait a minute, eh, why is Nazareth special? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's not saying that this is necessarily a bad place that produced bad people. He's just saying it's, it's an average place. How come Messiah comes from Nazareth? And look at, look at the last part of verse 46. I love this response. He doesn't argue with him. Philip said to him, what? He says, come and see. Come see for yourself. Come look. Philip essentially says, look, if you if you don't believe me, then you just come see for yourself. Okay? And Philip's pretty confident. You know, you come see for yourself. You're going to be saying what I'm saying. And you know what? That's often the best answer there is to someone who is, maybe they're skeptical. Maybe they have questions. Maybe they're a professional arguer. I don't know. You ever meet somebody who's a professional arguer? I, I always feel like I'm the guy who can't argue his way out of a wet paper bag, right? It's like, I'm not a professional arguer, you know? It's like, you want to argue with me, you're going to win. But I'm going to go back to the Bible, okay? It may take me a week, I'll come back with the answers because I want to go to the, the truth, the source, right? 
I'm not saying that you can't argue from the truth. Some, some of you are well equipped to argue from the truth and to be a good a person who can help convince somebody with, with challenge. But I'll tell you, often the best answer is not an argument, not a kind of a, you know, a turnabout, a, a banty back and forth. Often the best answer is, it's okay. Come and see for yourself. Let's examine the truth. Let's go to the truth together. You know, there are some people who kind of like to ask questions, you know, and there are others who like to get into an argument as they ask questions. Uh, you know, I, I just think that that's probably not the best way to, to try to evangelize a lost person, to argue with them, right? Now, I think this is a great example of how we point someone to Christ. What does Philip do? He just says, that's okay, you don't have to believe me. You can come see for yourself. Let's go. And sometimes the best answer to a skeptic is, is to to just point them to the truth. Now, you might be saying, well, how do I do that? If I have somebody who's got a lot of questions, how do I do that? And we're talking about who is Christ and can I believe the Bible and, you know, is this really God's word? How do we do that? Well, one way you can do that is invite them to join you in a Bible study. You can invite them to join you in a Bible study. And, and I'm confident that the average person in our fellowship could do this themselves. There are wonderful materials. And you talk to me if you have someone in mind, you, you have a need like this. We have wonderful resources and materials that you could sit down with a friend and go through a Bible study together with them. You do the Bible study, they do the Bible study. And as they have questions, they find the answers in God's Word. And when they ask questions you can't answer, you say, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll find out. You know, and you, and you go ask another believer who's deep in the Word, who's a Studier of the Word, ask your pastor, right? We'll help you answer those questions. Do some study. Take them to a Bible study. Some of the best way to answer somebody's questions who's a skeptic who has questions about who Jesus is or whether the Bible's accurate or true or whether this is God's Word is say, hey, let's do a Bible study together. And we've got wonderful resources. Please don't hesitate to ask. I will point to them. Another way to do this is say, you have questions about Jesus? My church is all about answering questions about Jesus. You ought to come to a church service and, and hear the word preached because the answers are in God's word. And you can invite them to come and join you in the, in the service of the church as we worship in the word together. And they'll hear answers about who Jesus is in God's word. You can do that. You can, that is often the best way to answer somebody who's challenging you with question after question is to say, can I just show you? Let's study the word together or come and hear. Come and see. So first, Jesus is the one with authority, right? Jesus has the authority. Secondly, here's another thing we see that explains something about Jesus. Jesus is the one who knows you. Look at how Jesus addresses Nathanael, verse 47. Look at it. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. There's another pointer here to the deity of Christ. If you need one, here's another one. Here's another pointer to the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the God-man. Because when Jesus Christ looks at you, when Jesus Christ looked at Nathaniel, and when Jesus Christ looks at you, and when he looks at me, he sees more than anyone else can see. He sees not only who you are on the outside, but he sees who you are on the inside. He sees where you are, who you are. He sees what you are. And he looks at Nathaniel, and he recognizes this. He gives him, again, it's kind of like this omniscient look, this knowing 
omniscient look that Jesus gives Nathaniel, and he realizes he knows that this is a man who's free of this kind of cunning craftiness that's so common. Now, who else could look at an individual he'd never met and say such a thing? Who else but Jesus Christ, right? This is much like when Jesus looked at Simon and saw that he would make of him uh, declaring that he would be he would be Peter. He would be called the rock, right? Jesus now looks at Nathaniel and shows Nathaniel that he knows him. And not just passingly knows him, but he knows Nathaniel. And you know he's got him pegged because Nathaniel doesn't argue, right? You see, Jesus isn't the only one. He, he's, he's not only the one with authority, he's also the one who knows you. He's not just a man with authority. He has a knowledge that exceeds any other. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. And let me just clarify here, in case you you begin to think this way, looking at the text, and you think, well, so so Jesus saw who Nathanael was, and he says here that he's a man who is without deceit, so he must have thought that Nathanael was a good enough person to be his follower, so he called him. No. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what John's saying, and that's not what the Bible teaches. Let's clarify here that Jesus didn't call Nathanael to be his disciple because he knew he was an upright man. Listen, if if Nathanael was perfect, he didn't need Jesus. Right? If he If he was perfect, he didn't need Jesus, so we know Nathanael wasn't perfect. God chooses no one to be his child because he knows he or she will turn out in the end, right? God doesn't look to the future and say, that one's going to turn out. Yeah, I can use that one. Okay. No, no, no. God is the one with the authority, and he gives the authority to Jesus, and Jesus comes with that authority and says, you are mine. You come follow me. Now, that sounds like you might be thinking like, well, I don't want Jesus coming and saying, you follow me. And all I have to say is, why not? Why not? Why would you not want Jesus coming to you and say, you follow me? I mean, some, we're so stuck in this world in which we live that we have, you know, I have my rights, right? And how dare anybody infringe on my rights and come and tell me what to do? And this creeps into the church. And this creeps into our relationship with God. And sometimes we say, how dare God tell me what to do? And I say, how dare you say that? Because Jesus Christ is the one with authority and has every right to say, you follow me. And if Jesus Christ calls you to follow follow him, it is the best thing that could happen to you in all of eternity. So don't think that Jesus is looking ahead and saying, Nathaniel's a good guy, he's one of mine now. He's okay, he's good. No, no. He knows, he knows who Nathaniel is, and he recognizes that this is an exceptional individual. He's an unusual person because he doesn't have the deceit that's so common. But he doesn't call him perfect, does he? The Bible makes it clear that God chooses a people for his own, and they come to Christ on no merit of their own. Nathaniel came to Christ on no merit of his own. Just like you and me. For example, John 15:16, Jesus says to his followers, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And then to help us with this idea that we come to Christ on no merit of our own, Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, says, For all have sinned 
All, right? Anybody excluded in that? All have sinned. And then all fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How much of a gift, what percentage of a gift do you earn? Zero. You don't earn a gift, right? A gift is something that's given, it's something that's undeserved. And that is salvation. That is our calling in Christ. We don't deserve to be a child of God, but He calls us and He makes us His own in spite of ourselves. Praise God, right? And God's Word repeatedly makes this clear that God chooses a people for His own and He saves them by no merit, no good of their own. And yes, we have Jesus' statement here about Nathaniel, and it is a fairly remarkable statement because this is rare that a person be found without deceit. But what Jesus is talking about is He's looking into Nathaniel's life because He knows him. And He knows that this is an individual who has longings to know God. He's not suggesting that he's a perfect man. He knows he's still a sinner. Nathaniel's unusually upright, yes, but he still needs Christ, right? He still needs Christ. And he still needs the forgiveness of sins that all sinners receive who trust in Christ. Now look at the exchange in verse 48, because Jesus just just made it very clear. I know who you are. I know what you are. And look at Nathaniel's response. He doesn't argue. He just says in verse 48, How do you know me? How is it you know me? Nathaniel's shocked? Probably. Surprised? Certainly. They had never met. How could this man know who he is? Listen, Jesus could know him because he is no mere man, right? Jesus could know him because he is no mere man. Jesus knows you. Jesus is God's revelation of himself to man, and all of mankind are known by Jesus because He is fully God. Now look at it here in verse 48. Continuing in verse 48, Jesus answered him. Let me just explain to you, Nathaniel. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you, Nathaniel. Now what is this time Jesus points to when Nathaniel was under the fig tree? Some believe that this is a reference to a place where Nathaniel went to study the Old Testament Scriptures. And this is why I suggest that Jesus looked into his life, giving him this omniscient look and knowing. This is a man who was searching the Old Testament Scriptures, and he says, you're a man without deceit. You're a man who's searching the Old Testament Scriptures. That's very likely what this is pointing to when he's saying, I saw you when you're under the fig tree. A place where he went to, to study, meditate on the Old Testament Scriptures. And the point is that Jesus supernaturally saw him. Jesus wasn't there physically, but he saw him supernaturally. And he can do this, right? When you and I can't, he can because he's God, right? Christ sees you. Christ knows you. Even though you may give him no thought, he knows you. Even though Nathaniel may not have given Jesus the Christ, any thought. Maybe he was searching the Old Testament Scriptures, but he may not have ever given Jesus the Christ the, 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 a thought. Jesus knew him. Nathaniel was in Jesus' thoughts. So are you. So am I. Jesus not only knows where you are, he knows what you are. 
He knows your heart. In verse 49, it's obvious that this became clear to Nathaniel because of the way he responds to Jesus. The light turns on for Nathaniel here, right? Verse 49, Nathaniel answered him. I love this. It's Rabbi, teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. It's like, bing, right? It, uh, he's, he just realizes. And why? Because he's being told all these things about himself that he's like, only I knew that. You have to be the Son of God. You have to be the King of Israel. Now, this is the second time in this chapter that we've seen the use of the the name Son of God. We saw it back in verse 34. Here, Nathanael recognizes who Jesus is because of this knowledge that Jesus had of him. Remember, the name Son of God points to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And here's the sixth name for Christ we're noting here in chapter 1. Next is the... Next is that he is the king of kings. So he's, here we are, and he's looking, you're, you're looking, he's the king of Israel, right? He's the king of kings, right? He adds, you are the king of Israel. We know this from, from elsewhere in the scriptures where he is king of kings and lord of lords. And Nathaniel looks at him, and here's the sixth name. The Messiah had been predicted in the Old Testament. Nathaniel. Back out of the fig tree, searching the Old Testament Scriptures, knows something of the Messiah that's predicted, right? It's supposed to come. And the light turns on for Nathaniel, and he, he says, You're him, you're the king. You're the king of Israel. And this name for Christ also points back to Old Testament prophecy of the coming Messiah. Because it's starting to connect the dots, so to speak, in his mind, right? And because of what Jesus said to him, he finally understands who he's facing, who he's talking to. Now, certainly this early contact with Christ, Nathaniel certainly didn't have a, a complete and full understanding of all the details of Christ's sonship just yet. But, but the gears are starting to turn in Nathaniel's mind, right? And, and it's because of God doing a revealing work in him and drawing him to himself. With all that Christ obviously knew about him, Nathaniel confidently verbalizes this, this understanding of his that, that this has to be the Son of God. This is the long-awaited Messiah. Let me just encourage you, that tonight we're going to come back to this thought of Messiah. We're going to keep going here, but we've been looking at this. We've seen this a couple of times. The idea of this Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, predicted in the Old Testament, many, many prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament. We're going to watch a video tonight that explains those Old Testament prophecies. It goes right along with our study here. I think it will be very helpful to us. The Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So come back and join us tonight for that special video that will help us understand this more fully. But notice here, too, that Nathaniel is verbalizing his recognition of Jesus' authority over him. Do you see it? He recognizes Jesus' authority over him and his submission to Christ when he says, You are the King of Israel. This is what happens when you fully understand that Jesus knows you, right? 
and you realize who Jesus is, and you believe in him, and you place your trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, this is what happens. The natural response of a believer is to submit to Christ. You realize that? The natural response of a one who believes in Jesus is to say, now I want to do whatever he wants me to do. I want to obey. Right? That's the natural response of a person who really believes in Jesus Christ. That's an indicator for us. We might remember that. You find someone who's struggling to be a follower, an obedient follower of Christ, who says, "Well, I prayed a prayer back when I was a kid, or or I walked the aisle, or or I, you know, somebody told gave me the, you know, these four steps of how I know Christ, and those are important things at times in a person's life." But but you might meet somebody who say, "Well, I I know I I said a prayer. Am I not saved?" And you know what God's word says again and again: if if you don't obey me, you're not my child, right? God's word warns us that there will be a day when he looks at at certain individuals and says, depart from me, I never knew you. And an evidence that we know Christ and he knows us is our obedience. I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about faithfulness. Constantly putting aside sin and trying to be done with sin and aiming to please Christ with our lives. And this is the natural response of a believer who who believes it's that they submit. They humble themselves before the king, right? You're the king, they say to Jesus. You're the king of my life. And then you verbalize that heartfelt belief in him. That's actually the truth of Romans 10.10 10 that it points to when it says, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not that the confessing saves you, but it's that the confessing is evidence that you are saved. This is, I believe in Jesus. I want you to know about it. I just believe in Jesus. I know him as Lord and Savior. Now I want to obey him. You confess with your mouth. It's evidence that you're a follower of Christ. It's not the only evidence, but it is an important thing. And we see here Nathaniel, I think, he says, you... You're the king. You're the king. You're the one with authority. You're the one who knows me. You're the king. And your verbal expression of faith, as was Nathaniel's, your verbal expression of faith in Christ is an affirmation to you and to others that you truly believe in Jesus Christ and you recognize him as the authority in your life. I'm not the authority in your life. Those people sitting next to you They're not the authority in your life. Jesus Christ is the highest authority in your life. Now, there are authorities in our lives that we have to give respect to, right? But Jesus Christ is the highest and final authority for us, isn't he? You need to see Jesus as your king. Like Nathaniel saw Jesus as his king. I need to see Jesus as my king, the ruler of my life, who I had to happily submit to for my own good, whom you ought to happily submit to for your own good. You need to see Jesus as your king. He may have come in lowly circumstances. You say he was born in a manger. Yeah. He may have been born in humble circumstances. He may have come in humble circumstances. He may have gone out being crucified, cruelly treated, but he went out being cruelly treated for your sins and mine. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you too will recognize him 
as your king, you will not miss his divine royalty. You will say, you, Jesus, are my king. I owe you my obedience. Look at Jesus' answer to Nathanael. Verse 50. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus is essentially saying to Nathanael, hey, I'm just getting started. You ain't seen nothing yet, man. This is, this is just scratching the surface, Nathaniel. I'm only getting started. Then in verse 51, we see the example of what Nathaniel was to witness. Jesus uses an example. He says, you're only getting started. Here's the kind of things that you will see. And here's number three. First, Jesus Christ is the one with authority. Secondly, he's the one who knows you. Thirdly, he's the one who reveals the love of God to man. He's the one who reveals the love of God to man. Verse 51, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. Jesus is telling Nathaniel when he says, Truly, truly, or maybe in your translation, Verily, verily. Listen, listen. (laughs) This is important. This is a faithful statement. Listen. This is very important. Listen closely because this is important when he says truly, truly. Listen up, Nathaniel. You're going to see the things of heaven revealed to you. Now, this is not literally so. This is Jesus using a word picture to illustrate something that he's talking, he's alluding to here. This is not literal. You're not going to see heaven open and Jesus Christ become a ladder for angels. It's a figurative statement here when Christ says, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here's the seventh name for Christ we're noting here in chapter 1, the Son of Man, right? And Jesus, listen, Jesus as the Son of Man is the revealer of God to man. As the Son of Man, He's the revealer of God to man. And Jesus is the one who reveals the love of God to man. Jesus is the way God makes his love for you known and very, very clear. Jesus is the one who communicates heaven to earth. Otherwise, we don't know anything, right? Jesus is the one who communicates heavenly thinking to earthly, fallen, sinful human beings. Jesus, look at it this way, Jesus is like a ladder here, He's pictured like a ladder, and he's like a ladder upon which the communication of God's love for mankind is sent from heaven to earth. Jesus is the conduit, so to speak. He's the ladder of of the love of God communicated to mankind. In fact, it's the very truth we know so well in John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus Christ. Imagine Him as that that ladder leading you to heaven, bringing God's love to you. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God the one with the authority. And with that authority, he calls you to be his own. 
And when he calls you, you joyfully come. Jesus is the Son of God, the one with authority. Jesus is the one who knows you. I'm so thankful God knows me. I'm so thankful Jesus knows me. I'm so thankful that he looked at me and though he knew me, said, you're far from perfect, Pierpont, but I want you. Right? And that's true of us. You're far from being the person that you're going to be. He did it with Simon Peter. Right? He says, you're just getting started. I'm going to make you something. And I am so thankful that we can answer this question about who Jesus is. He's the one who knows you. He's the one who knows me. The implication of that is so far-reaching and so broad. I'm just talking about him knowing who we are. But think about every detail of your life that you spend countless moments being concerned with. He knows those too. He knows those far better than you do. You can trust him with your life because Jesus knows you. And Jesus is the one who reveals the Father's love to you. I have a question for you, um, for each of you. And I ask this often. You'll recognize it. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in Christ? Are you his? Maybe you're not. Maybe you realize today, I, I have not trusted Christ. I'm just, I hear what you're saying, and I'm, I think I'm beginning to understand who Jesus is. Or maybe you're saying, you know, I thought I knew who Jesus is, but now I think I, I really know who Jesus is. If, you, if you've never believed in him, if you've never prayed and asked God to save you from your sin, confessing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, I would challenge you that today is that day that you do that. And you can do that right where you are. You can pray with a, a Christian friend who came with you. Or, you know, I'd love to pray with you after the service and show you how you can know Christ personally. And begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that will begin making you in the image of Christ. Do you believe in Him? If you don't, today is the day. I'm confident that you're here because God is calling you to Himself. And He wants us to tell you about Jesus Christ. And so, if you're an unbeliever today, we're so happy you're here. If you have trusted in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, I have another question. Will you submit to his authority daily? Will you yield to him daily? This is a challenge to us, isn't it? We, we struggle with this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. All followers of Christ struggle with daily yieldedness, don't we? But yet, he alone deserves our commitment, our obedience, our allegiance, doesn't he? He alone is the authority. And if he's called you, made you his own, you owe him your, your love in response to the love that Jesus Christ has shown you, that the Father has given you in Jesus Christ. If you believed in him, I, I pray that you will be challenged afresh, anew, to yield to him today and tomorrow and Tuesday and so forth, right? And we need to daily give ourselves to a yielded attitude before Christ, before his word, because he knows us. He knows us. He has the authority 
to call us and make us his own. And, and he shows us the love of the Father for us. The love that sent Jesus Christ to be sacrificed for your sins and mine. For that we can, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me, would you? <clears throat> Father in heaven, pray this morning that as we've opened the word together, you will not, you will not allow these words to fall to the ground, to fall, fall from our hearts and our minds, to go through one ear and one out the other. Lord, I, I pray that you would accomplish the purpose for which these words have fallen on our hearts today from your word. God, we know that you will accomplish what you intend, that you will grow your people, you will bring them perseveringly through to the end. And God, I pray that as, as your people here have come together to celebrate your, your love for them, that we would understand that your love very clearly is communicated through Jesus Christ. And he has the authority over our lives. And he knows us like no one else does. He knows our needs, our concerns. He knows our spiritual weaknesses and strengths. And he longs to make us more like himself as he demonstrates the love of God for us. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Help us to yield fully. God, I pray if there's a person here today or people here today who have never trusted in you or realizing they need to repent of sin, I pray, God, that they would do that now, even where they sit in prayer and yield to you in prayer. And then and then come and tell me or tell a, a friend who's a follower of Christ that they've trusted in Jesus Christ. God, I pray, help them to grow. Help us to help them. And God, I pray, use your people here today to be encouraged and strengthened afresh because of what we know about Jesus Christ from your word, what you've chosen to show us and make very clear to us we are so grateful for. Help us to live rejoicing in light of who Jesus is. Faithful to you daily. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.